Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. On today's episode, we're teaming up to explore the decision space of Marvel Snap, a new digital deck construction card game with unique twist. Your deck is only 12 cards. We'll talk about the game's design pedigree, compare it to some beloved board game designs, go over tips and tricks, maybe talk about our favorite deck so far, discuss Marvel Snap's decision space in depth, and also discuss if we recommend it. Wait, 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 wait. Are we covering Marvel Snap today? That's like a video game, right? Yes, Jake. We are covering a digital that card game right. on the show in which we've only covered board games today. But I think kickball, the sport of kickball. That's you're right. I take in our it back. least ever downloaded episode, sadly. <laughs> but uh, you may have missed that this one. Episode? You can go back and listen to it and talk all about <laughs> kickball and why it's the greatest game ever, possibly. So Marvel Snap joins the ranks but i think this fits really well within the sort of purview of our show no one ever said decision space was a show just about games that exist physically digital games seem fair and also marvel snap could mostly exist physically yeah i think it'd be interesting to talk about the ways in in which it achieves some things that wouldn't be possible physically and why that i think there's some really cool things going on with that that maybe we can touch on a bit later i i, I was poking fun at this episode of course, but I do think some people in our audience are probably tuning out this particular episode. That's totally fine. A lot of people play board games specifically because they are an analog experience, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. So, you know, if you're not interested in playing Marvel Snap, no worries. You know, you're still welcome in our interdecisional spaceship. I think you might find some interest in this episode, even if you have no interest in visiting the game. That would be cool, too. And the other thing I wanted to say, just it's kind of like a caveat anticipating some people maybe are going to be less than enthused based on the reaction when we polled our Discord about interest in this type of episode, is that I'm not sure that we've been super clear about our, our structure and format of the show, but typically what we've been doing is two discussion-focused episodes and then two board game deep dive episodes, usually with a light lighter board game and then a heavier board game so this episode is getting slotted in as like a discussion episode right we're still going to have board game content focused episode deep dives coming up this is not taking the place of that you know so don't worry everything is fine you'll be okay no just enjoy the show amazing caveat city is closed we're moving on to new york new york i couldn't think of a marvel city <laughs> so new york here we come jake i want to hear your your rating and review man i didn't even know we were doing ratings and reviews this game but i'll i will say this like this game marvel snap is like absolutely melting my brain in a good and a bad way i think in a good way because i'm having a lot of fun exploring it in a bad way because it's like consuming every moment of my life that I'm like not actively doing something else it's just so damn easy and addictive to play this game right now to the point where I'm like I need to stop you know and I hopefully this episode is gonna help me like get it sort of out of my system a little bit you know I'm giving the I'm spreading the disease I'm putting out into the world like you know maybe this is like a I don't know 
Is that like the ring, the movie, the ring situation? Basically, no, we got to go Marvel, Marvel. <laughs> it's like symbiote or something. OK, well, I don't know about that. But yeah, anyway, I'm giving Marvel Snap, I don't know, a nine. It's like an incredible app. Uh, I think the game is fantastic. So awesome. That that was really helpful. I guess we're going to truly recommend it in the back end of the show. And I think we'll do the same for me because I think that there's some things about this game we really love and some games that are maybe a little about this game that are really frustrating. But here's mine, Jake. And I think you're going to empathize with mine. You know, you I know you're not a massive Marvel fan, but you know who Thanos is. Yeah. Okay, great. What if Thanos wasn't trying to snap half of all life in the universe out of existence, but was instead trying to snap half the free time of the world out of existence? In that case, with Marvel Snap, he'd be Marvel's most successful villain today. Uh, Oh, wait, that's actually already the case, but he'd succeed all over again. Marvel Snap is an incredible game packed absolutely full of interesting decisions. The game's hooks, a clever snapping mechanism, a 12-card deck, and a brilliantly designed location system means that no two games of Marvel Snap ever played will be quite the same, and that's delightful. I expect to be playing Marvel Snap for months, if not years to come. 9.5 Infinity Stones out of 10. Wow, that's pretty high. But It's a really, really good game. But it's not as high as who is supposed to be our third host on this week's episode paul solomon he had to back out last minute unfortunately paul you're very missed but he did send me his slogan and review to share on air so paul he's been on the show a bunch uh, designer of honey buzz among other games he says this is here's his slogan this is the greatest card game app ever better even than star realms 10 out of 10 wow so that, wow. yeah so for background, for those of you who maybe don't know Paul or didn't listen to our Star Realms episode, Star Realms is Paul, was Paul's favorite card game of all time. The digital app was his favorite digital app of all time. He had a podcast about it, probably sunk thousands of hours of his life into it. Uh, so I just want to contextualize that those weight, those words come with the weight of like 16 hulks crashing into your ears, not just some guy in the street who played Star Realms three times. Yeah, so if, uh, if uh, you know, because we're missing Paul's voice as we have this discussion, just know that like any criticism we have for this game, there should be Paul as another voice telling us why we're dumb. <laughs> so unfortunately, Ugh. we're missing that. I wish he could be here to re- refute the free-to-play model because, or to refute my criticisms. But we'll see. Maybe we'll get into some. Yeah. Jake will get into some refutation. Maybe I will. We'll 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 get into it. But Jake, I want to talk about. You know, normally we do this background thing, which works really well for board games, where uh, you know, within the board game community, there's been the concerted effort to be really transparent about who works on games. Uh, we, we say who the designers are, the publishers are really clear and known, who other members of the development team are, are really clear. And some of that information is out there for Marvel Snap, but I couldn't find it all published in one space. So I'm going to name a few names. I'm going to give a little bit of information on the company who published Marvel Snap. It's actually their first ever game. And talk about this one binding force that links them all. Uh, okay, so this game is designed by a group of Hearthstone alums. They all, a, a lot of the people who worked on this game worked on another digital card game, card game Hearthstone, who, which I'm sure most of this audience has heard of. It's one of the most successful digital card games of all time. Uh, so the team who made this game are a lot of people who worked on Hearthstone for a really long time, left Blizzard, the company who published Hearthstone, uh, and started a company called Second Dinner. And this is their first game. This is the 
the freshmen were released from our Hearthstone uh, environment. We get to do what we want to do. And this is the effort. And I think just a round of applause in my book for uh, Yang Wu, Ben Brode, and Kent Eric Hagman, who are three people who I could find who worked on this game. I think it's... And does So who are these figures? I've heard of Ben Brode before. And I, in my mind, coming into this conversation, he was kind of like the guy behind Hearthstone and the guy behind this. That's great. That's a lot of more information than I have. So I'm really glad that you know that. Uh, for Yang Wu, it, I have, I'm just reading quickly that he was a Blizzard employee and a member of, quote, Team 5, who served as lead producer for Hearthstone until his departure. Uh, so a really central member in working on the Hearthstone team. Um, and then Kent Eric Hagman, there was an interview with him. Uh, I don't have his title in front of me, but he talked about the experience of joining the design team. Uh, they'd already been working on the game for some time. He sort of stepped in and picked up what was he thought a really exciting game that he saw and sort of continued with the the pieces that were there doing card design, I imagine, and that sort of thing. So Ben Brode is a great Twitter follow. And he talks a lot about game design. I think people might be interested in his feed. But one of the interesting things is even though these are digital card games, he's talked about how they prototype everything in physical components. Uh, and, and I think you get the sense of that playing this game, maybe even more than Hearthstone where it really feels like so much of Marvel Snap could be something you'd play on your table. And I think, you know, with there are some reasons why, you know, not quite, it wouldn't quite be possible. But I think like 95% of this game, if published as a card game, a physical card game, would be like an immensely successful and popular board game product. Definitely. There's a few, like Jake is alluding to, a few little tweaks you'd have to make, maybe some other little wrinkles. It's just like wrinkles some cards, about, right? Mainly in locations. Uh, but you can work around it. Mm -hmm. There's there's little pieces going on. I also want to say, you called out that people should follow Ben Brode. You can find him at B-B-R-O-D-E. Uh, and he was the Hearthstone game director before uh, coming over and becoming the chief development officer at Second Dinner, working on Marvel Snap to provide that background. Awesome. Jake. Before we get into the game itself, I think it's important for our listeners. There, there's this white elephant in the room of theme uh, that's really important to this game. It's called Marvel Snap. It's a celebration of a lot of things Marvel. It pulls in tons of characters. I think it's important for listeners to have an understanding of where we're at in terms of our enjoyment or lack thereof of Marvel, just to add some context to the conversation. Uh, so maybe just really quickly, we can give people a background on sort of, do we watch the movies? Do we read comics, the Marvel comics growing up? What about games? And maybe do you consider yourself a, a fan of Marvel? Yeah, that's, I think I think it's helpful. Um, I subscribe to Disney Plus. So I've tried to watch some of the Marvel TV shows on there. I thought that uh, the Loki one was pretty good. I thought that WandaVision was like pretty good. Uh, maybe like six to seven out of ten on each of those. Most of the movies I find pretty awful. Um, I think, I mean, awful might be harsh, but like, utter, but like very forgettable and formulaic. So I wouldn't call myself like a big fan. I think they hit like a, a solid hot streak for a, a like a, a several movie series. Like I really enjoyed Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok. And I think maybe that was right around when like they were kind of finishing up the Thanos arc with the Avengers yep. stuff. And I was like, okay, oh, wow. Like, there's something really interesting happening with these like Marvel movies. Like they've figured something out. And then like, and now I feel like we're right back to like 
utterly forgettable stuff again. Um, so, you know, it interests me enough that like I, you know, a lot of times if there's like a big cultural event, like everybody's seeing these movies, everybody's talking about the Loki TV show. I'll definitely check it out. It's not, it's not like I won't touch anything Marvel, but really, if anything, it's probably a negative to me at this point where it's just like I feel like a little exhausted by it, the content that, you know, we're typically consuming in movies and TV. So Marvel fan is not on your business card. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I'm so I think I I'm coming into this as more of a fan of Marvel than you are. I've watched almost every single movie. I think I never saw the Hulk with uh oh gosh pre John Ruffalo Hulk. Uh, there was so they made a movie. I never Mark saw that Ruffalo? one, but I've seen uh, Mark Ruffalo. Thank you. Who did I say? John Ruffalo. Yeah, let's go, Jake. Th- thank you for saving me. I enjoy the movies a lot. I don't think they're amazing films. Uh, from that perspective, but I think as blockbusters, they're really entertaining. I, I'm really intrigued by the mythos and the sort of modern day comparison to like a pantheon of gods. I think that that's like interesting culturally, and it's certainly an important, important cultural touchstone. I didn't grow up playing the comics, uh, and I, I would play Marvel games. Like I thought the arcade game, the five person arcade game growing up was really cool. Uh, but typically, I had friends who liked Marvel more than I did and kind of picked up. Uh, I picked up on Marvel stuff from them, enjoyed it, could take it or leave it. So coming into Marvel Snap, the theme, I'm happy to be learning more, some new characters, but it's not, I'm not here for the Marvel, I'm here for the game because the game's good. Yeah. I I would agree with that. And I think even like as a kid, I was more of a DC guy. Batman. 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 Well, anyway, I won't get into Batman take. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about Marvel Snap instead. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. So are we doing like our typical board gaming deep dive but we're applying yeah. marvel snap typical board gaming deep dive marvel stuff i even wrote a rules overview everything. oh you did i've yeah. added a rules overview for this oh my yeah. god that's great that's and it, it was perfect oh, okay <laughs> yeah right. i haven't recorded it yet. okay all right well in that case Marvel Snap is a digital head-to-head card game for two players. The game's objective is simple. Have the most power at two of the three locations when the game ends. Shared between the two players are three locations, each with a special effect. These locations are revealed turn one, turn two, and turn three, and they can fundamentally change the rules of the game. Each player has a constructed 12-card deck made up of cards that have an energy cost, a power value, and potentially a special ability. Marvel Snap is played over just six rounds, and players have energy to spend on their turns equal to the round that it is. So in the first turn, players have one energy, meaning they can only play one cost cards. On round two, they have two energy, meaning they could play a two cost card, or they could play two one cost cards, and so on for rounds three, four, five, and six. The locations used each game are pulled from a pool of 80 or more locations, meaning that no two games ever feel alike. At the start of each turn, players draw a card, and this is the core gameplay loop. Then they assign cards simultaneously and blindly to the three locations. Once each player has done that, those cards are revealed and players activate any effects on them. A final important rule is that no more than four cards can be assigned to any one location by each player. So players have to be careful and thoughtful about how they sequence the cards they play to secure a location without revealing too much information about their plans too soon. After six rounds, the player with the most power at two of the game's three locations wins, but Marvel Snap has one more twist. 
the snap mechanism. At any point in the game, if a player has not yet snapped, they can snap, doubling the stakes of the match, starting on the subsequent turn. Moving into the final round of the game, the stakes double as well. But players can opt to retreat from matches, conceding the game for a smaller penalty if they know they're doomed rather than forging ahead and incurring a large penalty following a snap by their opponent. The snap mechanism adds an interesting tactical and strategic decision around the game's meta-game playing experience as players try to rank up and unlock more cards from the game's card pool. Thank you, Brendan. What an incredible rules overview. Let's get into our deep dive discussion of Marvel Snap. Okay, top of the notes. What do we always do at this point in the show? We characterize the decision space. And that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, I think we won't dwell on this for too long, but we like to talk about things like clarity. How clear are the decisions uh, on a turn-to-turn basis about what you're doing and what your opponent might be doing? We like to talk about size and also the type of decision yeah. space, right? Does the decision space grow? Does it shrink? Uh, is it dynamic? Is it static? That sort of thing. Yeah, totally. I think one of the key elements of this game is the fact that you're gaining, you know, just like in Hearthstone, if you're familiar with that, uh, and different from Magic the Gathering as uh, for like your mana, where you maybe are getting more or not. In this, you're consistently getting one more energy every turn. So on turn one, you get one energy to spend. Turn two, you have two energy to spend. You know, you could maybe play one card that costs two energy or two cards that cost one energy each. So on and so forth. So you get six energy on the final turn. So just from a pure like resource spending angle, you know, I think you can say that this game has like a waxing element. Like you're definitely growing in power, right? And growing in your ability to affect the board in most cases by the by the final turn of the game compared to your first couple of turns. I agree. But I'm gonna from from my position, I think this is a one of the most dynamic games we've covered on the show. Uh-huh. If only because so much of this game and the, the way the locations affect the decisions that you're going to make and the way the locations are revealed throughout the game and the way your opponent's cards are informing your decisions. I think that the the shape of a given decision space of a game of Marvel Snap, every single game has the potential to look so different that for me, it's hard to say this is this type of game. This is a waxing game yeah. because we're getting more energy just because some games you might get more energy. Some games you might be in a position where you don't have as much energy uh, or, you know, it, or there might be fewer locations. There might be, sure. there's never more locations, but things about the locations will change. I think that's, that's totally I mean. fair. Uh, yeah. I think you could character- characterize it either way. Definitely like the overall framework of the game is that like increasing power, but yeah, sure. sometimes the location will reveal on turn one that says you have plus five energy, you know, and yeah. then that's going to, obviously then you'll be going down in power the next turn as you go back to two so uh i think i think dynamic dynamic is fair it's like dynamic decisions overlaid on top like a a structure that at its baseline is waxing and then the locations are waning because there's a limit of four cards at every location so as you add more cards your potential to add cards in the future is decreasing I think think that's an interesting one, too, like the waning element of the locations is uh, both objective, as you pointed out, right? Once you've played four cards into there, that option is no longer available to you unless you can somehow move something out using an ability before placing uh, something else. But 
it's also maybe even more impactfully on the decisions you're making on the game. It has like a subjective element of waning where like if your opponent has 35 power to your zero at a location, <laughs> right? You're yeah. not going to play the, the structure of the game is just to win two out of three. So, you know, at a certain point you say, okay, I, I can't contest that. So that is, even though I could technically put something in there, like my, uh, like subjective decision space of viable moves do not include that one space any longer. And that's because if you haven't played Marvel Snap, so there's six turns and cards range in cost from one to six. So the ones have a a range of power from one to one in the low downside with potential for strong effects to usually around three or four is where you'll max out on a one cost card. And then the most expensive cards, like a, a baseline for a six drop card that's really strong is like the Hulk. He adds 12 power to his location. There's other cards and effects that can go higher. And there's some six cost cards that are lower, but have a bigger impact on other cards you have out. But if a lo- like Jake was saying, if a location's at 30 and you don't have any cards there, you're going to be hard pressed to mount a counter offensive. Right. You just don't have the resources. This is a very combo focused card game. Uh, and we don't talk about games often, Jake, where the players are using different components, right? This is a deck construction game. You have a collection. I have a collection. We're building a 12 card deck. We're bringing them. So I think that that adds a degree of fuzziness to the decision space that isn't present in in a lot of the games that we play and isn't present in sort of a cousin game like Air, Land, and Sea, which has really similar decisions. It's a small box card game, uh, but that's where you have this really bound known deck. In Marvel Snap, there's a lot of unknown about what my opponent's deck has. And part of the game is trying to figure out what type of strategy they're playing into or maybe preventing my opponent from figuring that out. Yeah, I think perhaps the most interesting element of the game is trying to understand the clarity of the decision space because it's just functioning on so many different axes that will be (laughs) familiar, I think, to people who have played competitive card games before, like Magic the Gathering. Um, And then also in an entirely new way with this snap mechanism, which I imagine you've talked about in the rules overview. Um, so like to your point, it is at the beginning of the game, it's very unclear. You know what cards you have. You don't know any of the cards in your opponent's deck, except for that yep. they are, are exist within the same pool of, you know, however many cards you have access to at any given time. Mm-hmm. And the game does a really good job, seemingly, I don't know if you've had this experience, where it feels like the matchmaking does a good job of pairing people up with people who have similar collection sizes. You may not have yes. the exact same set of cards, but you know, you're you're not going to have pool. only 30 cards unlocked and play against somebody who has all cards you've never seen before. Maybe your opponents will have like one or two new to you cards, but pretty pretty often you'll have a sense that their collection mirrors your own. You just don't know which of those that they've brought into it. Um yep. So it starts out very fuzzy, but as you play more, just like in a game of Magic the Gathering, right, where you would start out not knowing what anybody's cards are that you're playing against, like as soon as they start playing cards, you can start to have clearer and clearer ideas of what the remaining cards in their deck might be, because they're a sort of, uh, and even, you know, even without like knowing, uh, you know what marvel snap decks are competitive and like doing research on Mm -hmm. net decking and all that stuff which i haven't done at all uh i've actually like 
fiercely avoided doing that just because I think that would suck a lot of the joy out of the game for me. There's still just like very clear archetypes. Like a lot of the decks provide synergy around moving cards around. So if you see a couple of cards early on that enable movement from lane to lane, then you can start predicting like, oh, I bet they have this like six cost payoff card in the deck that moves everything. Um, So it's, you know, just by playing the game, you know, without even really trying to, you'll start being able to make inferences about what other cards they might have that might come out that you could avoid really quickly. So in that sense, the game is becoming more and more clear as you play. And I think that like theme of clarifying elements actually uh, is happening in like many different ways at the same time, because at the beginning, all the locations are unrevealed. So you don't know what could come out, how that could shape it. But by the third turn, you do have all that information. Again, clarifying the decision space. Um, And then finally, like the kind of last part of the access of clarifying decision space would be around who's going to win the game. Um, Mm. In turn one, nobody has anything on the board. Very difficult to say. You might have some sense based on like, okay, great. I drew all three of my combo pieces in my opening hand. I like my chances of winning this game or like, all the cards I got in my first hand are high cost cards. So maybe I'm a little bit behind the eight ball of just developing my board like on, on time, you know, instead where ideally you want to play a one drop, a two drop, a three drop, right. Use all your energy efficiently every turn. Um, But by the time you get to the fourth and fifth round, it's starting to become a lot more clear about who's got the advantage, uh, you know, in the different lanes and who's more likely to win. And that, is normally sort of a downside in a game, right? Like, okay, this person's already going to win the game. My opponent seems very likely to win the game. So uh, now now we're just like going through the motion. But this has the really great retreat and snap mechanism where at any point in the game, either player can either choose to double down their odds that they think they're going to win or, you know, choose to back off and retreat. And I think that the game does such a good job of making this element a really fun, sorry, I got dogs fighting in here, a really fun and skill testing element um, because like the quicker you can diagnose that you're going to win and snap, you know, the more likely your opponent might continue to play the game instead of retreating right away, right away, giving you more benefit from that. And just to make sure it's really clear, I want to mention what the benefit of snapping is for people, because I did mention it in the rules overview. But the benefit of it is, is when you snap, you double down, you raise the stakes of the match. And what you're getting if you win is ranked points. So your your rank is increasing. So it provides this metagame. And I don't mean metagame like the how people typically use the the word to talk about what's good in a game environment. I'm using it more how Richard Garfield used it to talk about the metagame of playing magic originally of this idea of we're playing the game and at the same time as playing this one game of this game i'm making decisions that are impacting my playing of this game overall i have this dual experience of my progress as a player of marvel snap and my progress towards winning this game individually and i think that that's a a really powerful and fun mechanism especially in such a quick game where oh, i'll just cut my losses and play again and in such a variable game. You were talking about, Jake, how the longer the game goes on, the more clear it becomes, and that can be true. You could start with a really bad hand, though, and because locations are revealed uh, on the first three turns of the game, 
you might luck into a you might start with a poor hand and luck into a really strong location for your position actually and end up in a, a strong spot where you can take a okay hand and turn it into a winning game and i think that that's part of that loop that's so fun where it's really fuzzy it seems like it's really bad but this luck swing brings you right back into it and then for me jake what's so cool is the first few turns it, there's lots of uncertainty. One, where like where's my opponent going to go? What outcome am I going to get based on the cards that I play? There's lots of cards that give you a benefit if you play them at the same location as another player. So I'm trying to guess where my opponent might be putting cards if I'm playing that type of card. So even the impact of cards I'm playing is uncertain until cards are revealed. And then by the end of the game, we've switched to something that feels... Uh, turn six, round six, feels a lot like solving a puzzle. Okay, this is the board state. I have knowledge about what uh, is in my hand. I have knowledge about what I think might be in my opponent's hand. What are the outs that I could lose to? Do they Are they likely to have those? Okay. Uh, and then it's, are there ways that I can play around this, right? You have to win two of the three locations, not all three. So am I playing mind games about, it looks like I'm going to win here, but I'm actually going to try to win the other two and have those be the two winning ones. Uh, you can never fully solve. Sometimes you can fully solve the puzzle and that's when you retreat. But I find it's a really delicious puzzle that you're trying to solve. And there's enough uncertainty when it's close uh, that it feels tense and exciting down to the last review. To me, like what this game is doing with uncertainty and clarity is the mm -hmm. most interesting thing about it. Yep. And I think it really asks players to, you know, maybe this would be a good way to think about like if you how if you should try this game or not would be like, does that meta game of deciding when to snap when to retreat sound interesting to you would you like to play a game of magic the gathering if it had that same mechanism more than just like a regular game of magic the gathering um because like the game itself without that is very random right and like there's a lot of times where you can just lose out of no fault of your own you know it, it's not mm -hmm. the kind of game where the best player is going to win at all. You know, maybe the best player wins a very slight majority, right? Or you know, maybe more than very slight, but it's it's definitely not it's like closer to magic than like chess, right? Where it's like maybe you can get your win percentage against equally skilled opponents up to like 55, 56%. But I can't imagine there's anyone winning against, you know, equivalent opponents like upwards of like 80 90 percent of the time there's just too mm. much random variables which and the point i'm trying to make is that like i think that the real skill ceiling in this game is around like knowing when to snap knowing yeah. when to retreat and i think like this the amount you can get better at that which is ultimately what's going to enable you to advance up rank play or not advance up rank play uh, because like if you're losing games where you snap because you thought you were going to win it's devastating, devastating. Like you fall yeah. fast uh, the range is between one you could win one or you could w win or lose eight so right. it's a huge swing of ranked potential points yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, versus like your opponents making a mistake snapping and you're actually able to snap like after them and win you know then you're the one punishing them i think so i think that's where a lot of like the real skill in this game is manifesting I think that that, uh, certainly knowing the card pool, I think that there's, uh, I come from the background, you do as well too, somewhat of fighting games and, and the mind games around simultaneous choice games. I think that there's certainly skill there. 
Um, you don't have as much of the execution side of it, but I think that there is some skill in reading your opponent and the the decisions that they've made so far. I, I, I don't know that I'm, I think you're right that we're closer here of skill ceiling to another card game than we are to chess. Uh, but I think also you were sort of giving like reasons why you might enjoy this game. So, or why you might want to try it. One of the other reasons I want to just highlight when we're on that point of the conversation is a lot of card games that you might play are uh, one of the joys of them is that they offer variability because of cards being uh, the combination of cards coming together. Marvel Snap is really interesting, right? Because it's a 12 card deck. That's a really small deck. So you see the same cards really often. So the designers of this game did something brilliant because one of the benefits of a card game is that you normally get variability that's reduced with a 12 card deck. We're going to have more consistent play. And in fact, there's cards where because this is a digital game, if you include it in your deck, you know, you'll always draw this card on turn one, or you'll always draw this card on turn six, or you'll always draw this card on turn two. They just push that idea of consistency really far. So, oh, it's a card game with, with high consistency. Where's the variability going to come from? It's coming from the locations. And those locations change the decision so much that every game really does feel different. So it's a card game where the variability doesn't as much come from the cards as some, but that really come from the same from the locations. So oftentimes when you're playing another card game, you know, you'll you'll get variability in your game plan from this matchup. How do I approach playing against my opponent and what cards they have? You have that here, but you're always looking at your own deck through the lens of the locations. And that's a really unique card game experience to some extent that I find to be the majority of the fun is every game says, okay, you have your tool, you have your 12 cards, but how are you going to solve this specific version of the puzzle? Yeah. It works so well. To- totally. I agree. Yeah. And I, I think like an important distinction there is like the fun of the game. I agree with you is in like the chaotic <laughs> randomness that can occur and like all, you know, all the time, like, playing this game like i just have to like take a screenshot and like immediately like share like this like absurd thing that happens or because it's like a digital game like new content can just be like infused in at any time Mm -hmm. so you might just like all of a sudden like you're playing you see a location that you've never seen before and like just something insane is happening so you know mild spoiler if you know if you're want to experience this firsthand like i did but brent have you seen the ego location yet you alluded to this, and I'm pretty sure I... Ha- is this the one that just plays your turn? It just plays the game for It just you. starts playing. It says Ego is now playing your deck. So at that yeah. point, all card-playing decisions are out of your hand and your opponent's hand. So all that's left in the game is, do I Snapping. retreat or do I snap? Yep. And it's still yeah. fun and interesting, which is like... Yep. That was, I think, one of the things that kind of like... A, it's like, this is so funny. Like I can't believe this is just happening. Like I'm like playing this game, and I'm not even playing it. But that also clued me into it. It's like, okay, wait, I think the really interesting thing that's happening here is like the retreat and the snap mechanism. I I love that location, Jake, because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I'm playing an auto battler now. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that one change. Um, and, and things like that are, that's a good example of what we were talking about, where, yes, this could be implemented in tabletop, but there, there's design decisions that take advantage of digital that do fresh things that feel really fun, like here the AI is just going to play out your turn and you get to make the snapping decisions. Yeah. It's also an example of just like the type of like bad luck or good luck or whatever. Like, you know, my, I, one time that happened and like me and my opponent both snapped right away. And like, yeah, the, you got it. the ego guy made great decisions with my cards and just the worst with the opponent. He's just like yeah. spamming like the I'm dead emote over and over. And it was just <laughs> hilarious. 
Um, so they got very unlucky there. Whereas, you know, there's other locations that pop up. It's like, okay, actually, like, whoever has lower power wins this location. And if that's the third one to reveal and you've already played cards there and it pops up, you're like, okay, I guess I just lose this game. Like, that's yep. so unlucky. Um, and so I retreat. And that You know, that kind of stuff happens all the time in this game. I do find, though, Jake, that... And I, I, we've talked about this game enough that I know that I think you will agree. What you're saying is, yes, absolutely true. But you can also build your deck, in most cases, to give yourself tools to do, deal with the hyper-variable cards, right? Like, there's always... The Scarlet Witch exists, which is this card that randomly changes the location to a new one. So you can reduce the... You can increase your agency over some of the variants in this game. Or there's there's locations that will say you can't play cards here, meaning you can only move cards in. In those, there's cards that you can use to move or you can uh, use Mr. Fantastic to add three value to each lane. There, there's usually little ways around, oh, this randomness seems really bad, but you have enough to... One thing when I look at the design is every little element, whether it's a location or a card, it feels like every every piece has its counter. Uh, and it, they're they're all kind of there, and you just have to find the piece to solve the puzzle. Yeah. yeah, you might not have them in your deck, though. Right, you might not have them in your deck, or you might have the wrong ones in your deck. Like I think, yep. I think what the game does is it like gives you tools to answer the thing that frustrates you. If you get a like, yeah. there's no mulliganing in this deck, uh, and or in this game, right? You're stuck with your starting set of cards. So if you get you know, all of your most expensive cards in your first hand, there's nothing really you can do. Maybe you get lucky and draw into everything you need, but you're behind the eight ball for sure um, versus somebody that's being able to make turn one, turn two, turn three plays. Um, and Ben Brody on his uh, Twitter feed had a really interesting thread about the decision not to have mulligans. And they didn't want mulligans in the game because with a 12 card deck, like your decks are already incredibly consistent. Like, if you have a two-card combo, you're finding that a high percentage of the time, um, just because you're you're seeing, you know, like what, like you've eight? seen a quarter of your deck at the start of turn one. Yeah, quarter right? deck at turn one, and then you're drawing six one card, more so cards. You're getting nine of your twelve cards. Yep. Every game, um, so they don't they don't want to have a mulligan in it. So what they did to address the feedback that was coming up in playtesting over and over again is like, I really wish we could mulligan was they added the card uh, Quicksilver to the starting deck. And what Quicksilver does is it's one of the cards that uh, has this has the ability where you always draw it on your first turn. And, you know, that one change totally eliminated the complaints about being able to mulligan. So much so that, you know, Ben Brody said on Twitter that, like, at the launch of the game, he didn't receive any complaints about mulliganing. And... Uh, and, and what that does is like it fundamentally gives players the agency to choose what annoys them, right? Like and, you can and take to... that out of your deck, but then you've chosen, you have the exactly. agency of foregoing that automatic one turn play. Exactly. And even if you don't play Quicksilver, I don't play that card, but you know that you could have and psychologically that having access to tools is oftentimes like the opportunity to use something is enough. I don't always have to use it, right? Like the fact that I could have used it can make me feel better about my experience. And to play off your your sort of thread here of high agency to deal with what's frustrating you about the game, the central mechanic, the snapping mechanic is exactly that. Yeah. 
Um, right? I can retreat if I think I'm going to lose. If I don't want to deal with randomness, I will leave and I won't play. But I also can snap and I can have I can gamble for points and it's really fun and the stakes can get really high. So you have that agency uh, and it's really cool. Yeah. And I think, too, like the the benefits, like one cube to eight cubes for like that's like the currency to rank up, basically. You know, yeah. you get so one you mentioned, like one cube is the least you can lose and eight yep. is the most. And it feels like so well balanced even there where it's like eight feels so significant and one feels like nothing yeah you know like retreating and losing one cube like you just really don't feel like punished about that almost at all uh which which makes it so much easier like there's a card or a location that can pop up where just randomly out of all the pool of cards uh gives each player one and I got, you know, something that had one power and my opponent got a card that had 20 power <laughs> on turn one of the game. It's like, OK, I retreat, you know, and it was yep. and and you would just laugh. It's and, fun. yeah. And it's I funny. like share the picture with you and in yep. our discord. And it's like, you know what? That was so worth the one cube for a laugh. I guess we should have made it 40 minutes into the episode, Jake, without mentioning that this game plays out in five minutes. You can play a whole game in yeah. five minutes, even less. I feel like five uh, is so almost the, max. Yeah, and that's, that's the, the other, time scale. And that's we're another talking. thing about, and maybe the biggest thing about this game that is different digital than in person. Yeah, it goes real quick. Is it is it goes quick? Everything goes faster because you're not dealing with cards, and it has like a working timer. Yes. You know? yeah. uh, whereas, I mean, I guess you could do some kind of like sand timer, but those don't really work that well in practice and board yeah. games i've found um uh, so having the like little ticking clock uh it works great and it also heightens the uncertainty where you get to like this complex situation on the final turn and i don't know about you but a lot of times i'm like it i'm puzzling it out the whole time and i yep. maybe just run out of time before i can figure it out you know yeah. uh my bandwidth you know or whatever just like isn't quite high enough and then i even if I like know, I'm like, they definitely are playing this card. Like, how can I beat it? And I get to the end and I don't beat it. And I look at it for 30 more seconds and I'm like, okay, I could have done it this way. this way. Like, has that yep. happened to you? All the time. It happens to me and so I also, much. Yeah. <laughs> and I also, which to me is why my gut instinct is, oh, this game has a higher skill ceiling than it feels like it might. Given the randomness, just because there's so often where I lose games that I could have won had I made a different decision, which is really rewarding as a player also one thing i love jake about the snapping mechanism so the way it really works right is if i snap i double it uh so i turn it from one to two or if you snap you double it one to two uh if either player snaps the either player can snap doubling the current stakes but the game also forces a snap going into the final turn so if you want to see how things play out there's going to be at least you have one to snap. pay yeah you have to pay and i think that that's a really it's it's really strong just from a gameplay experience to just raise the stakes a little bit to see the the final info and the payout. Yeah. I, I think that that's a brilliant design decision. And it's also really fun, Jake, when you'll get to turn the, the start of turn six and the game has snapped. Neither of you have snapped. You look at your hand, you look at your position and you both snap. Yeah. So you go from what was last turn, the stakes were one. So if you retreated on turn five, you would have lost one. And now this turn, the stakes are eight and you snap. So you're in it. Yeah. Like, it's so great. And that's really where the skill comes out. You know, if you're really trying to play to like rank up and do the best you can in the game. 
It's like a lot of times it's like, yeah, I'll pay, you know, to see how it plays out. I'm probably going to lose, but it's just two cubes. And then like, as soon as it flips over to that turn, your opponent snaps and you're like, okay, well now I just like retreat, I guess, because <laughs> it's not worth like four to me. And then I just wasted one for no reason, you know? Um, totally. And, and, and I think there's also some kind of like element too of like, bluffing right there's a real bluffing element where if i snap real early maybe your opponent backs off whereas like just like in poker right sometimes it's better just to check you know just wait if i have like the nuts draw uh you know Mm -hmm. get to that like final round snap and then you know gamble yep which or you know sometimes it's like i think i'm a little bit ahead here so i'm gonna snap early and see if they'll just back off there's also cards designed to allow you to have these early game snap moments where you'll get a, a small but meaningful advantage, right? So there's two cost cards, two drops, uh, like Star-Lord. That's, Star-Lord says if you play this at the location where your opponent plays a card, instead of being a two power card, he becomes a five power card. That's a pretty meaningful jump in terms of my advantage. If Jake, let's say you just play a three value two, two cost card. I'm a, I'm ahead meaningfully in that position, which gives me an excuse to not wait to snap. Maybe I snap now because maybe you feel psychologically deterred by that fact. Or maybe on turn one, I got you with Mantis, similar ability, or Rocket. Turn two, I get you with Star-Lord. I'm snapping just to see what you do, right? Like maybe you run. And if so, great. Yeah. If not, yeah, it's fun. Also, you can bluff lanes too, right? Like maybe I'll, I'll add one card here. Like a, I'll put Hawkeye in the left lane. And Hawkeye says if you play a card next turn, you get a big bonus, a, a nice little bonus for playing a card in this lane. But I'm playing it there to tell Jake that I'm going there, but I'm actually going to the right lane. So again, we're equipped with the tools to tr- to play in these different ways if you want to play that way. You can play this more bluffing style game using the Guardians and some of these cards that let's, let you gesture. And I love that about this. Game. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun like when the strategy of where you want to play like what lanes and what two lanes am I trying to win rubs up against like I'm just trying to like put out like ultimately you know with like the star lord hitting or rocket does the same thing as one cost can get a two cost buff buff it's like ultimately the game is about making more power than your opponent you know if you have if you're creating like the most power you're probably doing good but it doesn't mean you're definitely going to win if like my 50 power is spread out equally across three lanes and my opponent's yep. 30 power is just in two lanes. And that's the core tension. Right. That's the that's and flexibility. We, we all know flexibility is so strong in games, right? So you want to go wide. You want to keep your options open. Maybe you played all three lanes. But if you do that, maybe you're spreading yourself too thin and your opponent can just jump in and dial down on two really hard. So there's this cat and mouse game of, where are we battling? Who's winning? Where? Which lane? Because over the course of the game, if you always, if you follow the curve perfectly, it, you play a, a one cost card turn one, a two cost card turn two, a three cost card turn three, and so on. You will have played six cards. There yeah. are, but there are twelve spots for cards to go. So there's lots of wiggle room between these two poles of I'm going to fill up the whole board with twelve cards. There's cards that let you play multiple effects. There's twelve cards in your deck, so maybe you're drawing. You're playing two cards a turn versus playing one and i think that tension is really fun too uh of like am i am i using a precision tool or am i just am i swinging yeah yeah and the and the question of like how many like in the deck construction is rich yeah. too right uh where you're like 
do I want to include threats or answers? And I feel like, yes. you know, like, yeah. I, it's just something I've like struggled so much with in the game. I mean, maybe we'll talk a little bit about deck building here. I'm interested to hear like some of the decks that you're using, what works for you. But like the other thing that's like so great about this like ecosystem of the app is like back in my formative years playing Magic the Gathering, like if I wanted to like, go to a tournament like project predict like a meta game like maybe i was lucky enough to have like a group of like four or five people and we could like put together like some semblance of like the competitive decks and like test decks against them uh but then like if i wanted to like tweak my deck it was just like in theory because it's not like we're able to like reconvene and like do that all the time but here like and i know like you know uh magic arena works same way right you can instantly get lots of games you can instantly get in a tournament but here like because of how fast games are like the the iterative process of like deck construction of just tweaking my deck a little bit like how's that work okay change it a little bit more this other way how's that work and it, it feels like you know the the and we haven't even talked about how like sometimes the app will like give you a featured location that's likely to appear more and like you can build your deck around that specifically um but like just sort of like the iterative process is so satisfying where it feels like you're like meta gaming right uh trying to answer the meta that is like this ecosystem that is shifting in real time with you one thing that i love about the deck construction too jake is because you know we talked about how uh, a lot of card games give you variability, right? You you have four copies of a bunch of cards. It's a 60 card deck. So you have lots of variability in how that plays out. And you're trying to solve the puzzle of your draw. Snap does not work that way. You know, roughly, y- you can be pretty sure if you build a curve, you're going to mostly curve out. Not always, but usually. So I love the deck construction in this game because I'm imagining, okay, out of my turn four scenarios, what are the things that I could be doing and what options do I want available to me realistically, right? Like I can puzzle that out. There's only six turns. I can think this deck when I'm falling behind is actually usually turn three. How do I make a stronger turn three? Do I need to be combining more ones and two drops to be contesting two lanes? Do I just need stronger three drops uh, that I can use to more reliably contest one lane? Uh, that little bite and those questions are really rewarding. And you know, we've talked about how sometimes the most fun games are the ones that are just beyond the cognitive horizon yeah. and snap and it's deck construction is right there. Like it's so much of, I can imagine the scenarios and, you know, every game feels different because the locations we've covered that, but I love the puzzle solving of deck building in this game. It's really rewarding and fun. And it's amazing. Like as the, the, the total collection of cards available to me right now are not, it's not that vast. How many? Yep. I'm, so there's right now but like i, was, I well, mean just like me personally like where i'm at i feel okay. like i feel like i have like a hundred ish cards interesting i feel like i have roughly 80 okay for listeners you should know that there's three card pools so when you first start playing you'll just unlock cards from the first pool then the second then the third so i'm still in that first pool uh okay but i still feel like i have varied choices i'm so for people who have played marvel snap might be curious right now i'm at collection level 294 i haven't paid for the seasonal pass i'm purely free to play mode and i'm level 51 which is platinum rank and i'm so i've i don't have my phone right on me but i'm like collection level mid like 145 148 or something and i'm at rank level 48 okay cool so i mean we're pretty close there yeah um and yeah and i agree like 
I, I, I feel like the game is so consistent that like it, it makes me want to like this is why I think this is like good for board gamers too. It's like it makes me want to like physically prototype my deck so that I yeah. can like play it out and like okay like how much power can I make like if I have all these cards like doing the six yeah. turn thing. Yep. Uh, but then there's cards like the America Chavez who this is like a six cost card that you always draw on the last turn of the game which does like theoretically incredibly powerful thing of like smoothing out your draws like that much more but your draws are already pretty smooth without it so like and sometimes like there's a card i need going that last round that i know i won't get if that's in my deck so like how much is that worth to me and like you know there's just so many cards like that where it's like there's like a two drop card that shuffles one rock which is like a meaningless card into your opponent's deck or cost one gives you two power and like that feels like I think it's good, but I play it and I never see the rock, so I don't know if my opponents are drawing it or not. Like, yeah. what's that worth to me in like a really ag- aggressive strategy deck? Um, you know, so it's just it's really fun to sort of like do the theory crafting, but I agree it's like difficult to like really get there. And I know you probably can just go online right now and look like what are the best performing decks at the top rank and, and try and like mimic that as much as possible. But like, what fun is that? Okay, so Jake, to close out the show, I think we should each talk about like one deck, a few cards that we we were enjoying, and maybe a location that we like, and then we can talk about the free-to-play model and do we recommend Marvel Snap okay, that as the close great. of the show. Sounds awesome. Do you want to go first? And if you, you named your go? deck, I want to hear it. Okay. What's up? Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I want, I'll go. What do you want to do? Okay, I I'll, don't care. I'll, I'm go, happy I'll give a deck and you give a deck, then I'll give a deck, then you give a deck. Okay. And we'll be really quick. Okay. All right. So the deck that I've been playing the most lately, I the high I'll say the highest I've ever got is rank fifty five, and then I was trying out nice. a new strategy and fell back to like forty seven, and I've been fighting my way up with this deck, which I called "Is this aggro?" question mark because I don't because <laughs> I always nice. like playing aggressive strategies in games, and I don't even know what that means in Marvel Snap, like honestly. Yeah. Um. So basically, this is a deck that came about because I realized like I had too many cards in my deck that were answers to questions, right? Like there's a card like called the Enchantress that like cancels ongoing abilities unrevealed. So that's really good against this like devil dinosaur card that a lot of people are using. Uh, I had, you know, cards uh, like Scarlet Witch, which you talked about that like answers like problematic locations that like may pop up. But like ultimately you know, I felt like I was losing so many games by like one or two power, which I feel like every game is decided by like one or two power somehow in this. And I thought like, okay, what would happen if I just got rid of all of the cards that are answers to things and just replace them with threats? And like, I'll let my mm-hmm. opponent like fiddle around with their dinky combos and answer decks. Uh, and I'm just going to be putting out as much power as I can on a consistent basis. So this has three one drops that can all power up uh of three two drops two of which are medusa and lizard which are really powerful like on their own uh three three drops a four drop a five drop and a six drop and it's just basically everything has as much power as i possibly could find at that slot and you mean literally power like yeah so i mean you know sometimes like, you less. have to facilitate and i don't want to like yeah. get into the nuance of each card like uh What's, what are your six drops? The and my, So my six drop is Spectrum, and that's the one sort of facilitator, so that powers up yep. all ongoing power cards. 
of which I have uh, four in the deck. Ant-Man, the one drop who gets extra power if he's at a full location. Lizard, which surprisingly is an ongoing power that's like negative, but it yep. can still get yeah. powered up and, and catch people. And then Mr. Fantastic and the Punisher at three drops. Those are also ongoing. Nice. So, I mean, it's basically just like as aggressive as I can be. And yeah, I think it's been working in this sort of meta that seems dominated right now by combo decks and answers to those. And I'm just trying to like get in underneath and like, and, and it seems like it's working. The combo deck Jake is referring to being mostly dinosaur devil moon girl is the really popular combo deck. And then there's some other ones, but like you see that a lot right now, just for maybe a little time capsule. Yeah. It's interesting okay. too because I lose to that deck, but I beat the control deck. So it's like almost nice. like the reverse of like a normal where thing before. where it's like aggro beats combo and combo beats control. Where it's like that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My first deck that I want to talk about, I've called Heimdall Schmoves. Uh, so Heimdall is a six cost card that moves all of your other cards one location to the left. Uh, so I find movement uh, in games like this. I really like the cards that let you move in Airland and Sea. Uh, which is sort of a spiritual companion game in a way, like a cousin design. Uh, so I liked the constraint around building around Heimdall. I unlocked him, and then I unlocked this guy called uh, Multiple Man. Multiple Man says whenever you move him, create a copy at the location he moved from. Great, we have a core combo. Uh, then there's some other fun pieces. Uh, here's some tips if you're interested in the move deck. If you put Hulkbuster, this card that can combine with the card at a location uh, and add its strength to the card you copied with, you make a copy of the card with Hulkbuster, it keeps its strength. So I like to add Hulkbuster onto Multiple Man. Oh, great. Now he's a, a stronger card. I'll make a copy of a stronger. And then there's cards that lean into that a little bit, like Ironheart that can buff cards randomly. So I'm trying to build big copies. And uh, my whole goal is to break people's ankles, right? Like gesture that I'm, I'm going hard on this right location. Scooch to the left and close out the, the left two. Uh, so I really like that deck, Heimdall Schmoves. It uses some other pieces that I think if you've played a little bit, you'd have a sense for what the pieces are. But that deck's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, so my last deck is um, a deck that I don't really recommend, but I feel like it's almost <laughs> there. I've been working on it. It was actually what I like tanked my rating playing so much, trying to get to work. Uh, and I know that uh, Joe and our Discord's also been experimenting with this deck. And it's it's a Jubilee deck. So it's based around this card called Jubilee, which when you play it, you just re you play on reveal play a card from your deck at this location. So the idea, like, is like how do you make Jubilee as strong as possible? So the idea of this deck is you use all the cards that you only draw at a specific turn. So you've got Quicksilver, which you always draw in turn one, Domino, which you always draw in turn two, and then um, America Chavez, a, who you always draw in card, turn right? six. Jubilee costs four and has one power. Four. Okay, um, and then. I'm running, uh, in addition to America Chavez, three other six-powered cards, which you would never normally do because you could only play one in a deck. Yep. Uh, three five-power cards. And then it's got like a one three cost and then the one four drop, which is Moon Girl, because it just has like the Moon Girl Devil Sword combo. If it hits, it hits. Yep. Why not? It gives you like a second yeah. avenue to win. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically the game plan. You want to draw Jubilee. Also, you can Moon Girl to double Jubilee. You also have Odin in here, which can activate Jubilee again, which is probably overkill on that location. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a very, very silly and, and fun, like off the wall strategy that I like, had to try. And it's like the yeah. type of strategy that's really facilitated by an app driven game 
Uh, Definitely. So, yeah. So my next deck is also kind of a Johnny deck. It's not a deck that I see a lot of people try to play. Uh, and this deck I've named Ongoing X. So there's a card in the game called Professor X. He costs five uh, to play. So you're playing him turn five typically. Uh, or if you get lucky, you could play him earlier. That's very strong because profe- what Professor X does, he's a three power card. But he says that for the rest of the game, no cards can be added to or removed from that location. So he locks down a location uh, and you can essentially like immediately win those games. So I saw this card and I was like, okay, I want to play with this. I really, Professor X is one of my favorite Marvel characters. I I think he's a really cool character, very interesting in a world surrounded by physically powerfully characters that this is a a mentally incredibly powerful being. Uh, But what could I pair with this? He's an ongoing ability. Uh, So Jake mentioned these ongoing abilities. That's another archetype. So there's some ongoing abilities that let you, like Mr. Fantastic and another called called Claw, that let you add power to a lane without playing to it because they add to the left or right. Uh, Claw just adds right, but Mr. Fantastic adds to the left and right. Uh, So you could like play Professor X, and if you're losing there, play those cards to boost your power up. Your opponent can't do anything about it because they can't play cards there. So that's good. So it kind of leaned to this strategy. And then the other cards I'm using are lots of ongoing cards that Jake's already previously mentioned, like Ant-Man, Spectrum, Punisher, just all the ongoing effects I could find to kind of lean into this other ongoing strategy uh, that I can boost around. And that deck's a lot of fun. There's definitely some pieces. I'd love to have Onslaught for that deck. I have not unlocked that card yet. It'd be a natural fit that uh, I'd love to sub in. But besides that, I'm kind of doing either... If it's a game where Professor X can work, I love playing that. It's really fun. If not, I'll just do the ongoing thing. Throw down Iron Man, try to win, win big. Iron Man doubles the power of location. He's a really fun card uh, that you get really early on. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like you have this such so much similar cards. Like that deck is like 75% the same as the first deck I mentioned, but just function totally differently. And I think yeah. that's like a lot of what's, like deck building in this is it's like okay here's an obvious synergy with ongoing cards how do i want to like add my twist to that to make it like fit with my play style or 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 how i want to have fun in this game um and a lot of like you you, and then you also have the choice of like do i just like go all in on that or do i want to like kind of jam two archetypes together and that can also work too yeah Um, so yeah deck building in marvel snap very fun Let's briefly wrap up, as you mentioned, with the free to play and then if we would recommend it. Okay, so one bonus about Marvel Snap, the way that you're only matched with people who have similar card pools to you. So if people pay to unlock more cards, you're not typically playing against them as much. I find really refreshing and nice. Uh, I don't feel that if I'm not putting money into this app that I'm not getting a benefit. But I will say not just having access to the card pool on one hand is fun, on another hand is frustrating. I know that I'm hanging out in a Skinner box that's trying to give me rewards constantly. And on one hand, it's kind of driving me crazy, Jake. And on the other hand, I like, like I'm a simple man. I I have my psychology is being taken advantage of. And I know this and I kind of hate the game for it, but I've also played, I I don't know how many hours you've played in the week since it came out, but I've played too many. I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to know either. So on one hand, the free to play is fun. It works really well in the game. It gives you pieces. So a meta develops slowly. It encourages deck building. There's lots of benefits to the way it's designed. And it's not designed pay to win, which is a real problem with free to play, right? Or or pay to get ahead or pay to whatever, right? To, to get a, a true advantage. There might be a tiny bit of that, but it's not. It doesn't feel meaningfully 
impactful. Yeah. But at the same time, psychologically existing in a game that is taking advantage of your psychology gets tiring. So for me, if this was a digital card game that I could buy and just kind of like have stuff sold out, but have that less emphasized, I think I would like it slightly more. Like it could be a 10. I just kind of don't like the free to play. Yeah, it's interesting. And we're I, not doing like a full review, right? Like there's other things that I could mention that I won't, but yeah, um. I think like playing this game versus like I'm like pretty fiercely like I don't put money into free to play stuff. Like I sure. I could, you know, like I could afford the 10 bucks to like get access to more cards. And maybe I yeah. even should as much as I've like played <laughs> this game, right? Like I would have, you know, I would probably have gotten plenty of value out of that you know, compared to like spending 10 bucks in any other number of ways. Um, but like, for whatever reason, I don't know why my psychology just like doesn't typically allow me to do that. And this game of all the digital card games I've played, which like Legends of Runeterra and Hearthstone are the two big ones. Oh, Magic Arena, which is like the worst. You have to pay for everything in that game. Pay uh, to play. <laughs> uh, but you pay every day. <laughs> yeah. Um like this one definitely feels like I, I'm reasonable. playing the exact same game as anyone who bought the pass, yeah. you know, and in the it's like I, Star Realms almost. Yeah. And I think the other thing where like the company, what is it? Second Dinner, like thoughtfully pushed back against the normal predatory model is you can't even buy the season pass that like gives you unlocks as you rank up until you complete like the first starter, like onboarding yeah. pass, which takes a couple hours you know like yeah it, it doesn't let you just like pay right away like it kind of forces you to try before you buy in a way that i think is like pretty cool like they didn't have to do that yeah though it is yeah i mean i don't want to play devil's advocate i really like this game we're clearly both really excited about it i think that we're going to continue playing but my question is jake do you recommend for for the average decision space listener who's a member of our audience. I imagine a lot of people are going to listen to this episode who found it because of Marvel Snap and they're already playing it. That's awesome. But if you listen to Decision Space, you listen to this episode, Jake, do you say, give it a try? I do. I mean, like if you know that you are somebody who has a very addictive personality, like me and you, maybe yeah. don't. Like, you know. <laughs> Just know you're playing with fire. Yeah, you really are. And like for that reason alone, I'm just kind of like hesitant to just be like, unequivocally like everyone should play this game because it's like free and it's fun so why not but like barring personal self-restraint issues like i think it's great i think uh it does some really just like great things with app design too that we haven't mentioned related to gameplay like for one thing i really love is that like it uses the vertical orientation of my of your phone that just makes it yeah. so much more comfortable in your hand to play, especially if you have like a giant oversized Android like I do. I don't know why I sure. bought this, but I have it now. <laughs> um, like it, like there's something like it's just something so much more casual about just like holding it in a hand like I would a normal phone and like swiping and playing yeah. versus like holding it like sideways and like, like a switch, like a yeah. switch. Yeah, right. And, like it, it reads differently. It's just more comfortable. Also, like we, we have had talked about like the cosmetic upgrade, which is like basically the currency you're getting. And like, I think it's like it is like, again, it's like bad for the brain worms, <laughs> but it's kind of <laughs> cool. Like you get to like upgrade yeah. your cards and like they have some like really effective like 3D effects um, that cool. like the first time you see it, you're kind of like, wow. And uh, my wife it was is even like 
like I basically see like insists that I come to her to let her upgrade all my cards as I unlock them because she like loves it so much and just like like she doesn't care about the game but she finds that like very compelling my wife I told my Jake about this game and Maya said oh that sounds incredible and like the kind of game I would stay up until 3 a.m. playing on my phone so I'm definitely not going to download it and she's absolutely right she would love it and she's wiser than I so we I don't know what we're going to do Jake we both really like this game I recommend it too I think you should try it if you like card games. I think it offers a lot of new things. Even if you're not a fan of typical digital card games, there's a lot here. I think informed by the refreshing uh, conciseness of board games that I think is why a lot of people love board games mixed with things that could only work in digital that's refreshing. You play them five minutes. Jake and I could talk about this for... uh, This is a problem. We wanted to keep talking. Board gamers will by and large like this find game. something to, yeah. to like here um and this is also just like phase one like right now like it feels like we're still playing just like the bare bones game yeah you can't even i yeah. can't even play against brendan right now so i think also you can wait you know and theoretically yeah. the app we know play uh player to player games are coming it's coming there's no cool. limited mode which is going to be freaking awesome when that pops up i assume it, po- it will pop up i haven't heard an announcement about that but I mean, Hearthstone had one. There's yeah. no reason why this wouldn't have a little draft module or something like that down the line. So I fully expect it. And I think that would be really cool with this system too. So, yeah. I'm so Dr. Doomed. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to be talking about this in our Discord. Yeah. We'll see if I, I don't know if we'll do another episode of Marvel Snap. You know, we are pretty board game focused. We're going to be covering. I don't think so. Yeah. It might come up in like random conversation conversation it's a pretty interesting example especially as we like compare it to like other apps and stuff but yeah i don't yeah. i don't think people will need to worry that like oh this is a marvel snap podcast now but definitely if you're playing marvel snap incessantly like we are and want to like Come talk, talk to decks right now we've got like three people brendan me and joe <laughs> that have just been yep. like in there constantly and we would love to have some more people to bounce ideas off of if you're enjoying this game uh, and if you're new to the Decision Space podcast, definitely check out our Discord. You can find the link to that in the description of this podcast. Uh, so next week, we're going to be covering Rajas, Rajas of the Ganges. I always Ganges. my brain is like, pronounce it with an H because it's Spanish, but it's not that way. It's just Rajas of the Ganges. Isn't it Rajas of um, the Ganges? I don't know, Jake. We got to figure it out before next week. We also have Memoir 44, which could actually be next week. Jake and I have to talk about it. But those are upcoming games that we're covering on the show. Uh, if you want more Decision Space, you are listening to the Decision Space podcast, the podcast about decisions and games. Uh, that's awesome. If you're a new listener who found us through Marvel Snap, welcome. Thank you for joining. I bet there's more interesting conversations about games that would appeal to you here. We don't just cover board games, but talk about games generally. Check out our backlog. There's lots of episodes. We're coming up on 100 in the catalog, so really excited about that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Decision Spa, S-P-A. We'd love to hear from you about uh, Marvel Snap, the zany decks you're playing, or board games you, board games you wish we'd cover. Uh, and you could also find our, more about the show on decisionspacepodcast.com. Uh, but until next time, do you have yeah. any closing finals thoughts? I gotta you? go. I gotta go play Marvel Snap. Yeah, yeah. It's too late for me. It might not be too late for you. but <laughs> that's So should we just uh, should we snap the episode out oh, of existence yeah. here to close? Yeah. Okay, ready? Please, y'all later. Please